Ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Jeremiah was called to the ministry of a prophet in the year 627 BC. Originally a priestly stock and living in the small town of Anathoth in Benjamite territory, just three miles away from Jerusalem, he was called to preach the word of God to the kingdom of Judah, which he did from the year of his call in 627 to his final year of ministry in 580. His preaching therefore began in the reign of good King Josiah, who reigned from 640 to 609. You'll know that Josiah was one of those godly kings who introduced a program of reform to the children of Israel. But sadly, it was mainly external reform. And the hearts of the people were generally unchanged. This chapter, chapter 8 and the chapters which are associated with it in this section of the book belong to the reign of Josiah. It is thought with a high degree of probability that these words were spoken after Josiah's reform and during the 13-year period between the end of the reform and Josiah's death, during which period it became increasingly apparent that the people were not godly and their ways were no different. The chapter is part of a much larger section of the book of Isaiah, which takes us from chapter 7 right through to chapter 10, which section is usually called the Temple Discourse. And if we have time to look at the whole portion of the book, we would find that in chapter 7, Jeremiah severely reproves the people for their unbelief and then in chapter 8 he tells them of consequent judgment 
And that judgment, of course, came, came in two stages. In 605, Judah was invaded by the Babylonians. And in 586, the city of Jerusalem, by the same enemy, was totally destroyed. The prophet speaks before those things. But he sees the state of unbelief. And he sees the gathering clouds of judgment. And he is very heavy in his heart. And he speaks in verse 18 of his sorrow, which is in his heart. And he's heard in our text, crying for the people. Perhaps even expressing how they feel. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. What does he mean? Well, he means that time has passed. The harvest and the summer are over and gone. And we've not repented and we've not believed. And we're not saved. We're not delivered. Now, it's generally held that these words are actually proverbial. Describing any who have trifled with opportunities and find themselves still in a desperate state. That being the case, the proverb has wider application than to the Jews of Jeremiah's day. And I quote the proverb again tonight. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Now, applying it to ourselves, there are three things I want us to consider. First of all, opportunities given Secondly, opportunities missed. And then thirdly, the need to think hard and long about these things. First of all, opportunities given. The prophet says, the harvest, the summer. Now there were actually four harvests in Israel the barley harvest was earliest in the year about March, April followed by the wheat harvest in May, June followed by the fruit harvest grapes, figs and olives in July, August which was followed by the maize harvest of August, September by the time, therefore, that the harvest was past, the summer was ended. What does the proverb mean? Well, we've had time enough. 
and we've not used it as we should and we're lost spiritually speaking what does it mean we've had time and seasons and we've not responded to the gospel we've neither repented nor believed and today finds us in the same wretched state we were in a year ago we are not saved so opportunities given we look back this evening and we see that God has given you all another year this past year and something very important could have been done something life changing could have taken place you could have become a Christian the whole year with its harvests and its seasons a year when God could be found when God could have been sought seek ye the Lord while he may be found for a year you've kept the Sabbath attended the services you've heard the gospel and what have you done have you confessed your sins have you trusted in the name of Jesus or is it true the harvest is past the summer is ended and we are not saved it may not refer just to time but it may refer to special times within time like the harvest time and the summer time seasons special periods in the year perhaps God has given them to you you say what do you mean times when the word of God came powerfully to your heart times when the spirit of God stirred you to be converted times when there was a quickening and an awakening in your heart you asked the question what shall I do not only the year but the seasons within the year of God dealing with you in a very special way now it is so important my friends to discern such times God hasn't given you a year that you may waste it and he has not dealt with you on those unique occasions that they may be lost on you. A wise man's heart discerneth the time. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 5. A very 
dangerous thing not to discern the time. The Lord Jesus told a parable of foolish virgins. And the gist of that story was that five foolish virgins didn't recognize the period of opportunity. And they missed out eternally. So we recognize that a year with its seasons have been afforded us. What does it mean? I think it means that the Lord is desirous of saving you and that he is willing to save you. For he has given you, in the language of scripture, space to repent. It is as if he is saying, to quote Romans 10, all day long I have stretched forth my hands. Or as the Saviour said in Matthew 23, when he wept over Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you? On what basis did he say that? Because he'd been there, he had preached the gospel within those walls, and they'd had the opportunity. And they had the opportunity in the will of God because he was willing to save them. And God has given you a year with its peculiar seasons which now you recognize to intimate to you that he was ready to save. He was ready to forgive your sins. He was ready to receive you graciously. Oh my friends, what a great responsibility it is if we are afforded such a time. And what pressure there is upon us to use the time well. Because in this year that is past and in these seasons which have ended you could have seen to the salvation of your never dying soul. That's why the opportunity was given. Because you will not die with your body. You will survive the ravages of death. And you will face one of two eternities. Heaven or hell. Can you understand a person, therefore, being given the opportunity to save his immortal soul and not taking it. Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a man gain if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Your soul is more vital to you 
in all of the riches and all of the honors and all of the pleasures of this world. There are motives surely to be pressed upon us. If we've had the time and the seasons, and wouldn't it have been easier to do it in the time and season given? I mean, to be converted. I think so. It is always easier to use the time appointed and avail yourself of a convenient season. Otherwise, it's harder. Neglect the opportunity and it will be harder. Secondly, there may not be another year or other seasons. When the king said to Paul on one occasion, I will hear thee again on this matter, to our knowledge he never did. An opportunity was given, but not taken. And now time is at a premium. Jeremiah is not saying here, the year's gone, the seasons have ended, therefore you're doomed. But he is saying here that the time has diminished. And you don't have as much time as you had 12 months ago. I read an horrendous story the other day concerned a family of noble descent called the Hohenstaufen. Imagine they were Germans. And they gained the ascendancy and they ruled like tyrants. They were cruel. And their enemies, they were prone to torture. And one of the tortures that this family devised was a cell. Which when a man entered it, gave a sense of ease and even comfort. But after the man had been in that cell for a few days, he observed that the dimensions were narrowing. He turned his eye to it and watched with great intent. And as time passed, all four walls were moving closer together, falling as this knowledge was. He could only wait until there was no space left, and he was crushed to death. Time is contracting. I suppose in the case of the prisoner, had it been possible to have opened a door in that cell, to have said, escape for your life, 
he would have availed himself of the opportunity. Your time is diminishing. This sermon is the opening of the door. And I call you to save yourself and to be converted. Because the opportunity has been given for a reason. And everything hangs on the time and the season. There are young people here tonight. You're a year older than last year. And you've heard many a sermon that has moved you. God gave you those opportunities. And had you taken them, tonight you would have been converted. And you'd be saved. Opportunities given. Secondly, opportunities missed. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. What possesses a man or a woman to miss the opportunity to turn to God and be saved? Satan may be held largely responsible for when a man keepeth his palace, Jesus said, keepeth all in peace. And Satan keeps your soul in a state of artificial peace so that you're not troubled and you're not affected. The Bible says he blinds the minds of men so that we don't see the opportunity. We don't see the offer of grace. We don't see the change which could take place in our eternity. But in ourselves, the response with many is that they don't think. When the sermon is over, they go home, they read a book, they talk to a brother or a sister, they forget, they don't think. They are sinful. And under the judgment of God, or Satan wants that. And if they do think, their love of sin is stronger than their love of Christ. And they know that if the opportunity is taken, they'll have to change their lives, or Christ will change their lives. They won't give up their sin. They love their sin too much. They're given over to sin and therefore they'll let the opportunity pass. The consequence of that is that they neglect the most important thing in their life. Paul says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. You don't have to go out and be a notorious sinner. 
You don't have to go out and be a disgrace to your parents to be lost. You just neglect conversion. And that in itself is serious. Because God is provoked by that. In his mercy, he gave you time and season. And in your unbelief, you lost them both. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Missing the opportunity grieves the Holy Spirit. He gave it to you for a reason. That reason either you did not see or would not act upon. He is grieved. And the worst thing God can do to you is to leave you alone. If the opportunity is missed, then you shall never have another. Oh, the end of it. To look back and say, I had a year, you know, when I could have sought the Lord. I had seasons when I was inwardly affected and nearly did. But the harvest is past and the summer is ended. Now I want you thirdly to think hard and long about the last part of the text. You are not saved. That struck me with great force when I was preparing that. We are not saved. Could you say that tonight? I am not saved. What is it, my friends, not to be saved? I'll tell you what it is. It is to be without a saviour. And that is the greatest loss in all. Now men have become desperate because they lost a fortune. And others have been distracted and demented because they lost their health. But to be without the saviour is the greatest loss of all. So that he's not with you in life. And he will not be with you in death. Secondly, we are not saved. It means that the guilt of all your sins is still upon you. Do you know what guilt is? It is your liability to face punishment. To quote the Saviour's words, you are yet in your sins. Because you haven't a Saviour, you've got sin that you've got to answer for. And sin for which God will punish you, indeed, you are condemned already. And you await execution. We are not saved. I'll tell you thirdly what that means. The wrath of God 
is directed toward you. God is angry with you. You say, why is he angry with me? Because of your sin. But also because you haven't seized the opportunity to be saved. And he gave it to you. That you might be saved. He that believeth not, the wrath of God abideth on him. We are not saved. Fourthly, it means that you have no peace. There is no peace. Saith my God to the wicked. There's no peace in knowing that you've sinned. That God will judge you for your sin. And that you foolishly frittered away opportunity after opportunity to be saved. There's no peace in that. Your conscience accuses you. And your heart troubles you. Fifthly, we are not saved means that you are in a helpless state. For if Jesus is not your saviour, there is no other. The Lord uttered these words, Without me, ye can do nothing. Without him, you cannot find pardon. Without him, you cannot find the favour of God. Without him, you cannot find the promise of life. Without him, you cannot know hope. You're helpless. We are not saved. Sixthly, it means death will be your final fear in this life when death comes upon you and he doesn't come only to older people he comes to younger people and when death confronts you you're unprepared the terms of mercy from God you have rejected what will become of you Death is the king of terrors. How can you face it without a saviour? We are not saved. Seventhly and finally, there's no escape. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So the gate of hell opens to us. The bottomless pit awaits us. The torment unending is before us. Because we are not saved. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. But my dear young friend, or whoever it may be tonight, the year isn't quite over. The seasons haven't altogether gone. And tonight, if in some quiet place 
you confessed your sins and sought mercy and put all your trust in the man who died for sinners like you at Calvary that the punishment may not fall on you but on him if you did but believe that and rest on that you would be saved even at this late hour you would be saved let it not be said the harvest is past the summer is ended and we are not saved oh my friend be saved repent believe be saved and heed the warning of this text.